it is a beautiful day to be alive and i am so glad we have this time together i'm sana Layborn. she her i am a professor scholar connector and avid reader i've always loved learning about what's happening in our social world and sharing that knowledge especially over a good cup of coffee so here we are. Each week on Let's Grab Coffee, I catch up with experts from around the world who are investigating our most pressing social issues and common curiosities. Now, if you've been joining me this month, then you know I've had the absolute pleasure of having with me Dominic Lawson. He is the creator and host of the multi-award winning Black is America podcast. And we've been listening to a select episode from the show, getting a bit of a behind the scenes exclusive. And today is no different so don't you worry Dominic is back with us we will be chatting but in case you're new I got to give you his entire rundown of who Dominic Lawson is and you will understand why I had to have him back on let's grab coffee so before launching Black is America, Dominic was the creator and host of the Startup Life podcast, which provided listeners with the edge they needed in building their businesses and climbing the corporate ladder. The Startup Life featured interviews with an array of entrepreneurs and business owners and was syndicated nationally and internationally. Currently, Dominic is the podcast producer, editor, and host for Meadows Behavioral Healthcare. He hosts the long-running series Beyond Theory podcast that brings in-depth conversations with first-hand insights from the people on the front lines of mental health and addiction recovery. He is also the host of the award-winning podcast, Recovery Replay, which journals personal stories of recovery. Dominic, as always, it is such a pleasure to have you here on Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for having me again. I I, I had fun the, the last two weeks, so I'm glad to be back again here today. My 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 pronouns are you know him, his, and stuff like that. But also, I'm living in Memphis, so Maine and bruh also apply <laughs> as well. So I have to make sure I get that in there. That's right. Look, I knew I felt like I felt that was coming. I felt it was coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got to get all my pronouns in That's there. Right, so. and use them correctly, please, please. Oh my goodness. Dominic. Okay, I today I just have to tell the people. Okay, so today we're going to hear this amazing episode that's featuring Doris Miller or Dory Miller. But I just have to say, you give us a lot in this episode. You give us so much. And I just want to put like a little ping on people. There's like um, a special kind of side story about someone named Charles Jackson French. Right. And when I tell you my mouth was wide open. I was like, I'm sorry, wait. I had to rewind. The exactly. Tape. I was like, exactly. Yeah, what? Exactly. Well, who? What? So I, I don't even want to, I don't want to give too much away, but just like it, it still blows my mind. And that's why I think what you're doing with Black is America is so important because these aren't just stories. These are pe real people's lives that are central to our history here in America and our understanding, not just of our nation, but ourselves. And so absolutely, I'm just blown away. No, I, I appreciate you sharing that. And I, and I definitely won't give it away, but we try our best to really pack as much value in each episode uh, as possible. And, and honestly, even when we do that with every episode, we're not even we're not even scratching the surface. Right. Yeah. Like there's so many more 
ways you can go with it. But Charles Jackson French, I had I had some fun with that one. I had some fun with that one. <laughs> oh yeah, jaw dropping. And I love that you said that about you know even this episode which has so much in it. Um, again, decisions have to be made. Um, right. And what I love about it though is we get a lot about Dory, but we also get these other folks during that time period. And and folks, as we listen to this episode in a little bit, you'll understand more of what we're talking about. But I think it's so key because we're not isolated individuals. We are interconnected. Right. Exactly. And, and, and there's a few other like Easter eggs in there that, that kind of gets into it. But no, and that's why I love doing a history show. And I kind of point this out in the episode that like, you know, history are not the siloed stories, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, these things do concurrently happen. Right. And, and so, uh, uh, and just try to, you know, cause like, that's kind of one of those other, um, uh, roles or, uh, kind of things I want to get across in black as America about the importance of history, right? Not just black history, but just history in general. Right. You know, I know cliches are cliches, uh, but it's important that like we don't learn history, we're doomed to repeat it. And I think that's so true. Uh, so, again, we definitely try to pack as much info where it makes sense mm-hmm. uh, in every episode. So mm-hmm. it's that interrelatedness of people Correct. during a certain time period, but also people across time. Um, right. I felt like I was a little bit of like quantum leaping wheel of exactly. time, uh, you know. <laughs> Well, I mean, think about when we when we think about history class and when you was coming up, right? Like you you focused on Dr. King and everything was just on Dr. King, right? Or you focused on whoever else, right? And, and so we sometimes forget because we're so, I guess, kind of pigeonholed. And when we're learning, and, and that's not a fault of the educator or anything like that. It just it is what it is. We're trying to make sure we understand these people. But there's these, you know. Uh, these these cross you know yeah. uh, you know uh, uh, connectedness if you will right you know because one of the things I love when it comes to content I love crossovers I love crossovers I love when two worlds either don't aren't supposed to be together or you don't think about it they just come together like for instance when I was a kid the Jetsons and the Flintstones like I thought my <laughs> mind was blown it's like oh my goodness right like they're in the same universe so when you see stuff like that a, a lot of that influence definitely goes into my work and so I try to do that with history as much as possible yeah and you know I was also thinking too about like you as an individual but you also as connected to all these different time periods too Correct. because I mean think about for you I know you mentioned like a an a love or curiosity about history when you were younger and then look at you now, right? Like it just all comes back around. Absolutely. And and that's one of those things I I would be remiss if I didn't mention my mom in in that regard, because my mom really was uh, deeply, you know, uh, instilling in me the importance of history, especially uh, not just, and not just like black history, but even though she was very, Pro that, but just like everybody's history, like it, it's important how these things are connected and what happened in the past. So that way, you know, don't repeat it, but also learn from it, right? Because there's not just you know X Y Z happened on this date. It's also what were some of the moral you know mm-hmm. learnings from that, if you will, right? So I think that's important. So my mom always uh, instilled that, and, and so I, uh, I definitely hope that comes off in Black as America. Oh, it definitely does. And, and, and I. 
I have to share this real quickly because like my my mom, every time a new episode comes out, she's like, where is it? Like, or, or, like getting ready to come out. She's like, where is it? Where's where's my episode? So she always gets the, the first cut before it goes out to everybody else. Like, yeah, because like, you know, like and, and it's always crazy. Uh, because like I spend like weeks and weeks on an episode and she just snaps it up in like 30 minutes. I'm like, you got to piece that out a little bit. Like you gotta, you know, I worked really hard on that. You gotta, you know, you know, but you know, it, it is what it is, but my mom is, is definitely influential in the work that I do for sure. I love that. I mean, just thinking about, you know, the people who have been influential and you just never know, of course, with your mom, you know, it's over time, just everything that you're learning from her. And but sometimes it is just, you know, a a chance encounter with somebody that might change our trajectory or feeling homesick and going home early might change your personal trajectory, you know, um, as a a little teaser for the episode. And so I love that. And it also made me think, too, because I know a lot of the folks that you uh, feature are folks who were instrumental in the military. And I know that you have history in the military too. So it also just makes me think about, you know, in thinking of the people you want to profile, how that also might be impacting some of the ways you approach or think about who's going to be part of each season. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you think about a a, a nation and like who built what and stuff like that, a a large part of that uh, is, you know, the military Mm -hmm. part of that. Right. And and so when it comes to defending the homeland or going across seas to help others like the military is instrumental in in any nation's story. Mm -hmm. Right. And, And so a lot of times when it comes to black America, those those stories get lost, right? Like, you know, usually yeah. when you think about black people in the military, you, you know, it's, it's Benjamin hooks, you know I mean? Uh, Benjamin O Davis, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and his son and stuff like that. But like, after that, it, it gets really, it, it get, a lot of the stories get really lost. And so I want to highlight a Dory Miller. I want to highlight a John Fox. I want to highlight an all cash. That's that, that's a, that's a sneak peek, by the way. Uh, I want to highlight those things, if you will. Right. Uh, because again, the, the military might of a nation is it's is vital to the success of that country. So just mm-hmm. know. So we want to make sure we highlight those stories for sure. Absolutely. And, you know, as you mentioned, you know, without someone like you really digging into the history and trying to fill out like the profiles of these folks, we might never know because as we've listened in other episodes, even though these black soldiers have done amazing feats, again, central to protecting their unit, um, contributing to broader war efforts, they're often not recognized or what they've done is minimized um, or just used as a tool to try to recruit people. Um, But actually acknowledging like, wow, like what you did was so heroic, but also without you, you know, where would we be? Absolutely. I mean, we're, we're talking about this country has, has awarded 96 Medal of Honors to Black Americans. And, and also one of them won it twice, right? But not, that's not something most people know, right? Mm-hmm. And so I honestly, I, I could, if I wanted to, just do an entire, like, you know, season or whatever on just Medal of Honor recipients from Black America, mm-hmm. right? And I still would have a whole lot meat, more meat on that bone, if you oh, will, yeah. right? So, but no, it, it's, it's important. And, and honestly, um, many of the military people who listen to those episodes love it. They absolutely love it. Right. And it's stuff they didn't know. Right. And so it gives them a sense of pride and stuff like that. But also at the same time, if there's a young 18, 19 year old kid 
who feels like, you know, maybe the military isn't for me is like, hopefully it's an episode where you're like, no, it is for you. You can make a name for yourself because the, you have proof of concept of people doing it before. So Dory Miller, Charles Jackson, French, John Fox, all of them are, are that proof of concept that you can contrib contribute to this country in that way. Absolutely. You know, that saying like you can't be what you don't see. Correct. You know, and this right Correct. here is just spotlighting people. And I think that's so important and so empowering. Like I was listening to this episode and I felt empowered. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It was just so, again, so rich. Should I just fangirl about all the sound design again like I do every week? Because, <laughs> I mean, it's, it really is. And it was, again, it was a sound design that made me feel like I was in a quantum leap or I was in the flash. Like I'm jumping through right. different timelines or jumping within time. Um, and so, again, I just absolutely love all the intentionality that you put into crafting an episode and really giving us an experience. Right. And and again, it really just goes to like, you know, reading the story and thinking about what, you know, not just images, but also what sounds pop up in your head. Right. And so I'm trying mm -hmm. to recreate, you know, you know, being there at Pearl Harbor on December 7th. Right. And and so thinking about those sounds, thinking about those images and just trying to recreate that for the listener as much as possible. Right. And, and it goes to just that not just the sound design, but the editing as right. well, right? You know, with the quantum leap and stuff like that, because that's where that 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 two three minute uh, rule I, I like to employ mm -hmm. uh, comes in place, where just to kind of keep the audience engaged and stuff like that. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I think for me, what I took from this particular episode, of course, the story and the heroics of Dory Miller and some other folks that are mentioned along the way. Um, mm -hmm. But also, it really did give me a moment just to think about like how many of our experiences or touch points or relationships in our past, uh, both that we personally experienced are now setting us up to do what we're doing now and making hopefully a, a positive impact to right. you know our community, but then also in a much longer view of history, how many touch points of different people that we may never know personally, you know, also have led us to this moment to be able to, again, hopefully be contributing to our community in a positive way. Listen, I, I, English teachers for me, right? Like, like at growing up, going to Westwood High School here in Memphis, I couldn't stand English, like, you, you know, whatever, right? And so now, Jokes on me. I use English to feed my family through podcasting and writing these stories. I married an English teacher and all the things. <laughs> and, and so I always tell people that my holy trinity from high school is Miss Patterson, Miss Metter, and Miss Owens, my English teachers all through oh. high school. Because again, uh, I, I, I wouldn't be here without them, even though I gave them all the flack in the world. All the flack in the world. Knucklehead Dominic was in full effect in the 90s, right? Uh-oh. But but at the same time, I like, you know, I remember just like writing something one day. It's like, I learned that Miss Meta class. <laughs> uh, she would have got a good laugh about this. Like, see, I told you, Dominic, I told you you would use it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, I, I it, it just goes to show that like just to your point, like you just never know what's going to impact you. Uh, you know, maybe not immediately, but okay. later on down the road. And so, uh, you know, that definitely comes out in this episode in particular points. Mm -hmm. uh, and I definitely reflected on that when I was writing that part of the story. Yeah. 
Well, folks, I think we need to get into this episode and see what, you know, what reflections or what pops up for folks as they're listening as well. Dominic, as always, such a pleasure to have you here with us. Thank you so much. All right. This is Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. And when we return from the break, we're going to jump into this episode of Black is America featuring Dory Miller. December 7th, 1941, aboard the USS West Virginia, Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. It's a beautiful Sunday morning and just before 8 a.m., Navy cook and Texas native Doris Dory Miller has been up since 6 a.m. serving breakfast and is now collecting dirty laundry. He had the duties of cook and collecting laundry due to the color of his skin. Naval policy was such that African-Americans could only do certain jobs and definitely could not hold jobs that had anything to do with weaponry. But when you are in a combat situation, you would be surprised how silly rules like that can sometimes be overlooked. The reason being for that is because as William Tecumseh Sherman put it best, war is hell. Suddenly, there is an explosion and the general alarm to man battle stations was sounded. On the way to his post, Dory realizes that it's damaged by a torpedo, so he heads to the ship's deck. And once he is on deck, he sees the Japanese planes all around attacking the fleet. Miller is then ordered to help wounded sailors and get them to safety. This is all while trying to steer clear of enemy fire himself. Then Miller is ordered to help feed ammo to a pair of anti-aircraft machine guns in an effort to return fire on the Japanese. But as he does this, he notices that only one of them is being used. So without being told and with no prior training, mess attendant second class Doris Miller mans the second Browning 50 caliber machine gun and returns fire on the dive bombing Japanese. I couldn't tell you what was going through Uncle Dory's mind to take this action. I mean, there is the great possibility of him being reprimanded for disobeying orders, or worse, probably killed. But what I do know is that on December 7th, 1941, Dory Miller's actions remind us of what we have always known to be true. Whenever America has been under attack, Black America has always been there to defend it. We come from innovators, heroes, and royalty. We are our ancestors' greatest hope. We face many challenges, but we mold that adversity into our greatest strength. We are the glue that holds a nation together and allows it to flourish. Welcome to Black is America. The podcast that highlights little-known African-American figures and stories that make our history come to life. I'm your host, Dominic Lawson. Episode 3, Doris Miller, The American Defender. Today is Memorial Day. It's a day of remembrance for the falling in service to this nation. And we wanted to honor a hero that arose on one of the darkest days in American history. 
The first time I learned about Doris Miller was not the first time I experienced the story of Doris Miller. I know that's probably confusing, so let me explain. See, the first time I heard of Uncle Dory was a few years ago. There was a big announcement made about him, one that would cement his legacy the likes of a U.S. president. But I'll get to that a little later. But the first time I experienced the story of Dory Miller was back in 2001. See, I have always been a fan of American history, so just about any movie that depicted a historical event, you can count me in. And in 2001, one of the highly anticipated movies of the year was Pearl Harbor. December 7th, 1941. A date which will live in infamy. And it had quite the cast. Ben Affleck, Josh Hartnett, Kay Beckinsale, and others. And the role of Dory Miller was portrayed by Academy Award winner Cuba Gooding Jr. Everyone's where they need to be, Captain. You trained us well. You trained us well. I recently watched this film again, and it holds up. The depiction of Uncle Dory was great, but there wasn't a lot there. But hey, that is why we do this podcast now, isn't it? So let's rewind the tape, shall we? As we go from 2001 to right about here. Yeah, that should do it. October 12, 1919 in Waco, Texas, and this is the day Doris Miller was born. Now, the name Doris was picked because his mom thought she was having a girl and just simply didn't change it. Now, let me tell you, Waco, let alone Texas, was not exactly a beacon of civil rights. For starters, there was a strong Ku Klux Klan presence in the area. And then there is the lynching of Jesse Washington, the 17-year-old farmhand in 1916. And when you learn the details of what happened to young Jesse on May 15th, you will find them truly horrific. You know, actually, let's lower the music here for a second. I want to say something here. You know, we typically don't tell those type of stories here on Black as America. That's not our ministry. But let me be very clear. Those stories, without question, must be told. Because they are a part of our history, and so we should never forget that. And if you would like to read what happened to Jesse, we have a link of the details in our show notes of your podcast player or the webpage for this episode at www www.blackisamericapodcast.com So that is the setting of where Uncle Dory was born. His parents, Connery and Henrietta Miller, were sharecroppers in Texas. The practice of sharecropping for many of our ancestors was a common one post-enslavement. And while unlike enslavement, there was a form of payment, but the conditions and the dynamics were essentially the same. And just like many school-age children of sharecroppers, Dory would also help around the farm. He was actually a pretty good marksman and would help hunt for small game in the area. And when he wasn't on the farm, he attended A.J. Moore High School. Its namesake comes from Professor Alexander James Moore of the HBCU Paul Quinn College, which is about 100 miles away from Dallas. In 1875, he started the school in Waco, Texas, because of his concern of the lack of quality education in the area and legislation due to Reconstruction allowed for the path for James to create this school. 
and the time Dory was there, it served kindergarten to 12th grade. And many of his graduates would go on to have very successful careers in many fields of endeavor. The school had a handbook that may speak to why that is. Okay, you know what? Let's check this out. Let's check this handbook out for a second. Da, 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 da. Let's just look here. Oh, that's good. This actually explains a lot. You know, I'm going to hold on to what it says for right now. Trust me, I'll bring it up when the time is right. I guess that leaves two loose ends I need to tie up before this story ends, going back to that whole recognition thing we talked about with Miller. Now, while in school, Dory was a big kid. Jesus, he was big. He would ultimately grow up to be six foot three and 200 pounds, which is why he played fullback on the football team. They would call him simply Power. And I don't blame him. If I played on the defensive side of the ball and saw Dory Miller coming towards me, I'm going to make one of them business decisions. I mean, I would try and tackle him to make it look good, but somebody better come help me. I'm not going to try to tackle kid Derrick Henry by myself. But Uncle Dory's time on the gridiron and in the classroom would be short-lived. That's because he would drop out to devote more time to spend on the farm to help his family. And Uncle Dory knew early on that he wanted something different for his life. He wanted to see the world. And for a young black man growing up in 1930s Deep South, there were not a lot of avenues to do that. But there was one. Just as we mentioned in our feature on Henry Johnson, upper mobility for African-American men during this period was limited. And the Great Depression didn't help make things better. However, the U.S. military provided that opportunity. It was true then, and it's still true now. A report from the Brookings Institute in 2020 not only confirms this, but also states that black men are overrepresented when it comes to military service compared to their white counterparts. Interestingly enough, that same report shared that black women were overrepresented when it came to civilian service roles. So as you can see, when it comes to service to the United States, no community answers the call more than black America. Uncle Dory was interested in both civilian and military service. After an unsuccessful attempt to join the Civilian Conservation Corps, the program created with an executive order by President Franklin Roosevelt that gave men jobs to improve environmental projects across the country, Doris Miller enlisted into the United States Navy on September 16, 1939, as a mess attendant third class. He would be responsible for things such as serving meals, laundry, and cleanliness of the vessels. The U.S. military was still segregated, and this would be the only thing available to Dory. But he didn't care. Dory wanted to see the world and forge his own path. True, there would be limitations on his experience, but one thing we have done well as a community and as a people is never let those limitations hinder our experiences and from maximizing our opportunities. Now, after training in Virginia, Uncle Dory would jump around a bit. Kind of stay with me here. He was assigned to the USS Pyro on an ammunition ship, and then he would be assigned to the USS West Virginia. And then he would be assigned to the 2nd Battery Gunnery School aboard the USS Nevada. I don't know. Something tells me that even though Uncle Dory did not receive formal training with weaponry, that he still was paying attention to certain things on board the USS Pyro and the USS Nevada, just in case something were to ever 
as we say in our culture, pop off and need to be prepared to fight. And speaking of our culture, that is something we have always done and always had to do, and we do it well. Even though there are barriers, we still find a way to find the information we need, much like Ann Lowe, but I'll tell you that story later this season. And much like Uncle Christmas Addicts, who we discussed in season one, Uncle Dory also had them hands. President Theodore Roosevelt believed in implementing boxing in the U.S. Navy to boost morale and competitiveness on vessels amongst the sailors. So when Doris made it back to the USS West Virginia, which is now stationed in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, he would be crowned heavyweight champion. Miller is enjoying his new life as a sailor. He's worlds away from the farm in Texas and earning a decent living and maybe even a little bit of respect as a Navy man. But as Uncle Dory was living his best life, Europe was not. Remember, Doris entered the Navy on September 16, 1939, but 15 days prior, Adolf Hitler and Nazi Germany invaded Poland. Over the years, Hitler rose to power and gained influence, ultimately becoming Chancellor of Germany. The Polish never stood a chance. While the Germans were using superior weaponry, such as tanks and securing the skies, courtesy of the Luftwaffe, the German Air Force, the Polish were on horseback in World War I-era rifles. Soon, the Germans would sweep across Europe and form a partnership with the Italians and the Japanese to form the Axis powers. The Italians weren't even Hitler's first choice, but he knew Benito Mussolini was one of the only world leaders that would co-sign to that stupid ideology. I'm sorry, my bad. I couldn't help it. And then there was Japan. They were a bit of an unlikely partner for the Germans. And while there was certainly anti-Semitism in Japan, seeing as that there were Jews who escaped to the island nation, Japan more so admired the Germans' military might and expansionist ideas. See, Japan was a major power in the lead up to World War II and played a significant role in the events that ultimately led to war. During the 1930s, Japan ruled with a militaristic government that sought to expand its empire and increase its influence throughout the world. In pursuit of these goals, Japan would occupy a number of countries in Asia, including China and other parts of Southeast Asia. So that further explains why the Japanese partnered with Germany and Italy. Now, these actions and alliances were of particular concern to the United States, which had significant economic and strategic interest in the area. In the years leading up to the war, Japan continued those pursuits of expansionist goals and was involved in a number of territorial disputes and conflicts. This eventually led to a series of events that directly contributed to the outbreak of World War II and the attack on Pearl Harbor. Like Dory, there was also a group of people trying to live their best lives in Hawaii. Anyone who loves college football like I do knows that in late November, early December is bowl season. This is where teams from all over the country travel to a neutral site to play against teams they normally wouldn't get the chance to. And on November 27, 1941, the San Jose State and Willamette football teams left port from San Francisco on the SS Lurleen to Hawaii. They were going to play a three-team round robin of games with the University of Hawaii from December 6th to December 16th, with the players returning 
on December 19th. During that time, the SS Lurleen would take people from Hawaii back to the mainland and then return to pick up the players. And on that December 5th trip of taking Americans back to the mainland, there was a person of note on board. A recent UCLA student was in Hawaii playing semi-professional football on the weekends and working construction during the week. He dropped out of school due to family financial difficulties. His name? Jack Roosevelt Robinson but you may know him as Jackie. See, this is one of the many reasons I love history. This reminds us that history is not just a collection of old tales from the past, but more than you realize, many of these stories cross over, which leads to one of my favorite questions in history. What if, or how one decision changes everything? Let me show you what I mean. As you know, Jackie Robinson would go on to break the color barrier in Major League Baseball in 1947. He is considered by many as a great American and very important to the Civil Rights Movement. Even Martin Luther King Jr. would call him the founder of the modern Civil Rights Movement. However, Jackie had two options to leave Hawaii, December 5th and January 2nd. He chose the December 5th date simply because he was homesick. What if Jackie didn't get homesick and chosen the January 2nd date? Remember, over 3,000 people were hurt or killed on December 7th from the attack at Pearl Harbor. What if Jackie stayed behind for that extra month and was hurt or even killed? Does it take longer to integrate Major League Baseball? Does it set back the Civil Rights Movement? Ladies and gentlemen, I present history. It's so much more than just stories from the past. So as far as those football games I mentioned earlier, at least one of them was played. On December 6, the University of Hawaii defeated Willamette in the Shrine Bowl 20-7. But while many on the field and in the stands were enjoying the game, little did they know that their lives would change 24 hours later as the Japanese Imperial Navy are closing in on them, coming across the Pacific. All of the visiting players were staying at the very nice Moana Hotel. On December 7th, they had the day off to go on a bus tour on the island of Oahu, visit a local hospital, and then to Pearl Harbor. So on that morning as the players were eating breakfast, suddenly a woman burst into the hotel lobby. She is frantic and out of breath. She explains that while attempting to take her husband to work at Hickam Field, an Army Air Base, which is now an Air Force Base, she saw American planes being destroyed. And as the players go outside to see if they can see anything, they notice spent anti-aircraft shells in the water. Suddenly, a car pulls up and it's three local women. Like the lady in the hotel lobby, they appear frightened, as if they saw something very alarming. See, three of the San Jose State players were planning to have a picnic with these young women, but something tells me that's not going to happen. And then the six of them hop in the car to one of their houses. She lived on the hills above Pearl Harbor. Traffic, as you can imagine, is a mess, but the local women knew the area well to avoid it. And then when they got there, I imagine they could not believe what they were seeing which was Japanese planes all around attacking the American fleet. 
They got there just in time to see what happened to the USS Arizona. A single lucky hit was responsible for the disaster that befell the Arizona when a Jap bomb falling directly through one of the battleship's funnels exploded in the engine room and set ablaze tons of fuel oil. For the past few years as war raged on in Europe and animosity amongst the Japanese increased, the Americans weren't sure if the United States were going to enter the war. But it was clear now, America was at war and it was brought to our shores. But that's the thing about Americans. You may catch us by surprise, but eventually, once we gain our bearings, I hope you're ready to fight, because a fight is what you're going to get. That same goes for black America. In season one, we told you the stories of Peter Salem and Salem Poor. I dubbed them the Salem Boys. The British came to our shores, and black America had to show them they were about that life. But in the World War II era, there was a new generation of black Americans in the military, and the Japanese, just like the British, were about to find out why it is black America that makes the United States the military power that it was then and is now. And as we head back over to the USS West Virginia and check in with Uncle Dory, he is trying to get to his battle station. But as we mentioned at the beginning of this story, it's damaged and completely flooded and inaccessible to Dory and he heads to the ship's deck, where he is greeted by the dive-bombing planes that bear the symbol of the rising sun. The ship is starting to list. The air is dark with smoke, making it hard to breathe and inducing coughing fits. The deck is also very slippery due to oil and water. Miller is then ordered to carry injured sailors to safer locations. He does this amidst the conditions, not to mention trying to avoid strafing Japanese planes. He is then stopped by the communications officer and informed that the commanding officer, Captain Mervyn Binion, is severely wounded and is in need of assistance. Miller makes his way to the ship's commander, but he is unable to move him from the bridge due to all the damage. So they put him on a cot and get him to a sheltered spot on the deck that is not exactly safe, but safer than his previous position of being exposed but far safer than his position from before. Meanwhile, a second wave of Japanese planes strafe the USS West Virginia and sends debris and shrapnel all over the place. Fires rage everywhere. Now, much of the weaponry is still operational that can be used to defend the vessel. Lieutenant Frederick White orders Miller to begin feeding ammo to a pair of Browning 50 caliber machine guns on deck. Miller, as he has always done, follows orders and begins to load the magazines. After doing so, Lieutenant White begins to fire the first anti-aircraft machine gun, beginning to defend the West Virginia. But the second one is just sitting there. It's not being used. Dory has a decision to make. You would think it would be an easy one. You are being attacked and there is a tool sitting right there that can allow you to defend yourself. But remember, as we said at the top of this show, naval policy was such that African-Americans were not supposed to handle weaponry of any sort. And Lieutenant White is sitting right there. Surely he would be reprimanded. But the Japanese are relentless. They are all around attacking with no signs of letting up. What is Dory to do? 
But I'm reminded of something we came across earlier in our story about Doris Miller. Remember, Uncle Dory went to A.J. Moore High School and that school had a handbook we came across earlier and has some interesting words in it. Allow me to share them with you now as I think they may have some influence on his decision. The handbook states, quote, The A.J. Moore High School exhorts its students to take responsibility for their own futures as well for that of their community. It declares the school's hopes to offer students a well-rounded education, providing them not only with knowledge, but also the means for achieving success in all areas of life. The handbook calls students to remain loyal to the principles of democracy, encouraging respect for the rights of all citizens. End quote. To be fair, this handbook was published after the attack at Pearl Harbor. But I believe those ideals were taught when its doors were first opened in 1875 and throughout. I believe that Uncle Dory took those words to heart. Something tells me he knew from the very beginning what he must do. See, there are these moments in life that the universe creates to see what you're capable of, to see if you will rise to the occasion. And on December 7, 1941, Doris Dory Miller rose to the occasion and decided to show the Japanese, the United States, and the world what can happen when black America is given the chance to show what it can do. Uncle Dory heads over to the second Browning machine gun and begins to open fire on the attacking Japanese. I imagine he fires on every Japanese plane he sees, not just defending the West Virginia, but allowing others to escape drawing enemy fire upon himself. Now, accounts vary on what exactly happened. The U.S. Navy gives Uncle Dory credit for shooting down two enemy planes, which is no small feat. However, some accounts said that he shot down anywhere between four and six planes. Honestly, even Uncle Dory is not entirely sure. He said later, quote, I think I got one of those Jap planes. They were diving pretty close to us, end quote. He keeps firing until he runs out of ammo. And at this point, the West Virginia is sinking fast. Miller is then ordered to take the severely injured Captain Binion to the navigation bridge to avoid the smoke. However, those injuries would prove too much for the ship's commander. The Japanese begin to ramp up their attack again and releasing two armor-piercing bombs through the deck. Miller and other sailors hunker down until the attack slows down. Then, as Miller begins to help other injured sailors, the surviving senior officer orders everyone to abandon ship. Miller finishes helping whoever he could and then follows orders. He is one of the last three people that abandons the USS West Virginia. Miller and others are swimming to shore and still trying to avoid the strafing of Japanese planes. The West Virginia had a crew of 1,541 men, 130 died, and 52 were wounded. Make no mistake, from returning fire and helping fellow sailors, Doris Miller saved many lives on December 7, 1941. But of course, Jim Crow America be doing Jim Crow America and did not want to acknowledge fully what he did and only commended him and his actions as, quote, an unnamed Negro Messman hero. 
But thanks to black newspapers around the country, in addition to the National Association for the Advancement of Color People, or NAACP, they made the nation aware of who Dory Miller was and what he did. On April 4, 1942, the Pittsburgh Courier made the case why Uncle Dory should receive the Congressional Medal of Honor. But the following month, Admiral Chester Nimitz would award him the Navy Cross at the urging of President Franklin Roosevelt. And like Henry Johnson, who was considered one of the first U.S. heroes of World War I, Dory Miller would be considered the same for World War II. Uncle Dory would then be asked to go on a war bond tour, due in large part at the urging of both black and white news organizations, going around the country with white war heroes giving speeches and telling the tale of what happened that day. He was asked what it was like to return fire on the Japanese, handling the machine gun. He said, quote, it wasn't hard. I just pulled the trigger and she worked fine. I had watched others with these guns. I guess I fired her for about 15 minutes, end quote. See, I told you he was probably paying attention when he was on those Navy ships, the USS Pyro and the USS Nevada. There would also be a new recruiting poster with Uncle Dory on it with his Navy cross with the caption, quote, above and beyond the call of duty, end quote. It should also be noted that Uncle Dory's actions also prompted changes in naval policy. Four months after Pearl Harbor, black recruits to the Navy could now serve in expanded roles such as gunner's mates, quartermasters, radio men, and radar men and Dory's actions would inspire many in black America to join the fight in World War II, including Charles Jackson French. And I'm gonna go ahead and stop the music right now because I bet it's safe to assume you don't know who that is, but you already know I'm gonna put you on game, don't you? So allow me to do exactly that. And let's go right about there. Forgive me, I had to make sure I get my dates right because it's a bit of a tricky one. It's the night of September 4th, 1942, when a crew from the naval destroyer, the USS Gregory, was returning to Savoy Island as part of the Solomon Islands in the South Pacific Ocean. It's quite dark, and the haziness only added to the fact that it's quite difficult to see. In addition to the Gregory, the USS Little is also in the area patrolling the Savoy Island and Guadalcanal. Now aboard the Gregory is mess-attended first-class Charles Jackson French. This is actually French's second stint in the U.S. Navy. He served for four years, settled in Nebraska, and then re-enlisted four days after the attack at Pearl Harbor. Fun fact, he grew up around the same time as Uncle Dory and not too far in nearby Foreman, Arkansas. I don't know. Must be something in the water in that part of the country to produce brave black Navy men. And here's another fun fact. This also takes place three weeks before his 23rd birthday. Anyways, a little before 1 a.m., three Japanese destroyers, the Yaducha, the Hatsuyuka, and the Murikumu, pulled up on the Gregory and the Little undetected and began to open fire. They didn't stand a chance. The Gregory, within three minutes, began to sink. French was fortunate. He was one of the few people aboard who was not hurt. He, along with a few others, hopped onto a makeshift raft in order to stay afloat. But if those recently shipwrecked sailors thought they were out of harm's way, they would be sadly mistaken. I mean, let's not even focus on the shark-infested waters that the men find themselves in, 
but more so bring our attention back to the Japanese destroyers, because now the attention of their fire shifted from the US vessels to the crew floating in the water. Now this next part of the story is gonna sound made up, but US Navy documents say that this is absolutely true. Trust me, I'm having a hard time reading the script believing it, and I wrote it. French begins to pull injured Navy personnel into these rafts. Let me remind you, swimming around debris, avoiding fire from the Japanese, in shark-infested waters. So in an effort to get himself and shipmates out of harm's way, the 5'8", 195-pound Charles Jackson French jumps back into the water, takes a piece of rope, ties one end to the raft and the other end around his waist and begins swimming in an effort to get his buddies to safety. One sailor told French to get back into the raft for fear of being injured or killed by a shark, but French responded by saying that he was more afraid of the Japanese than the sharks. He also said, quote, just tell me I'm going the right way, end quote. French swam until sunrise, roughly eight hours through shark-infested waters, avoiding Japanese destroyer fire, towing 15 other sailors to safety. Eventually, they are picked up by a marine landing craft, and for his efforts, French would receive commendations from the commander of the South Pacific Fleet. Also, 80 years after his heroic act, Petty Officer First Class Charles Jackson French was posthumously awarded the Navy and Marine Corps Medal, and a naval training pool was renamed in his honor, along with the post office in Nebraska not to mention a tribute at the U.S. Olympic Swim Trials in Omaha, Nebraska. So yeah, Dory was quite the inspiration to many, and I wish this was the part of the story where I tell you that Uncle Dory decided to stay stateside for a quiet and nice life, settled down, have a family, and told stories of what happened on December 7th, 1941. Maybe even buy his old land that his family used to share crop on as Grandpa Dory would play with his grandkids at family gatherings. I wish I could tell you that. I really do. But the truth is that Uncle Dory returned to service after his speaking engagements. He would receive a promotion and was assigned to the escort carrier Liscombe Bay. After training at Pearl Harbor, Dory Miller would head back into the waters of war in the Pacific on October 22, 1943. Liscombe Bay would participate in the Battle of Macon and proved victorious, but on the day before Thanksgiving, while preparing a feast, Liscombe Bay was attacked by a Japanese submarine and sent the torpedo straight into the stern of the vessel. The carrier's own aircraft bombs and torpedoes would explode. Liscombe Bay would sink within 23 minutes. The carrier had over 900 members as part of its crew, but only 272 of them would survive. Uncle Dory would not be part of that count. The sun was set on this brave American on November 24, 1943. He was 24 years old. During his lifetime, Doris Dory Miller was honored by his actions. There was a reluctance at first, but he did receive some flowers. He became just as famous as Lena Horne and Joe Lewis of the time. Over the next couple of decades, though, memorials, schools, community centers, housing complexes, 
would be named after him. And his military commendations would include, in addition to his Navy Cross, the Combat Action Medal and the Purple Heart. But there is one honor that would be bestowed upon him that are only reserved for a few. It's the last of the loose ends I needed to tie up for this story. The honor is even more exclusive than the list of Medal of Honor recipients. The U.S. Navy is seen as the most powerful in the world, and that is due in large part to the aircraft carrier. They have 11 of them. It's a large vessel, and it's often called 100,000 pounds of American diplomacy. They take anywhere between five and seven years to build. They are so massive that over the years, official college basketball games have been played on top of them in honor of Veterans Day. They are normally named after U.S. presidents. The last was named after John F. Kennedy. And on January 20th, 2020, on the same day we remembered Martin Luther King, a new name was added to that list of people with an aircraft carrier named after them. This interview from the Secretary of the Navy on CBS News explains. So the list of carriers is going to read Washington, Lincoln, Roosevelt, Reagan, Truman, Eisenhower, Bush, Ford, Kennedy, Miller. Exactly right. And I like it when you put it that way. That's Miller as in Dory Miller. The next aircraft carrier to be built will be named for the grandson of slaves and son of sharecroppers. The USS Dory Miller is currently being built in Newport News, Virginia. It will be laid down in 2026, launched in 2029, and commissioned in 2032, and will be in service for the next 50 years after that. This makes Uncle Dory the first enlisted and the first African-American to ever receive this honor. And of course, there are going to be some who feel some type of way that he will receive this honor. Naval historian Regina Akers explains. And like everything else that's celebrated about Dory Miller, it's going to draw some criticism, rest assured. So what would be the criticism? Some may suggest it's more than he deserves. Some may say he was just a guy who did his job when General Quarters went off on a ship. What's the big deal? What was your personal reaction? Oh, I was, I was overwhelmed. It is tremendous. And it's a reminder but with those folks, you were never going to convince them anyway. They would have you discount many brave African-American servicemen and women who have defended freedom from this country's founding. They would have you believe that stories like Lieutenant John Fox and Sergeant Henry Johnson did not happen. They would also have you believe that the Tuskegee Airmen were not black excellence personified in the skies. And that is why we must honor the story and sacrifice of Doris Dory Miller, who did not wait for an order to take action. The proud son of Texas showed us that when the enemy is at your doorstep, you meet them with conviction, fortitude, and an unwillingness to give up because heroism greets those not based on the color of their skin, but what burns in their heart. And that is why Doris Dory Miller is the American Defender. The Black is America podcast, a presentation of Owl's Education Company, was created and is written, researched, and produced by me, Dominic Lawson, executive producer, Kendall Lawson, Cover art was created by Alexandria Eddings of Art Life Connections. Sources to create this episode include Naval History and Heritage Command, CBS News, 
infographics show, ESPN's Down and Distance podcast with Ivan Mizell, the Brookings Institute, and WacoHistory.com. Scenes from the movie Pearl Harbor are courtesy of Touchstone Films and Jerry Bruckheimer Films and is distributed by Buena Vista Pictures. Be sure to like, review, and subscribe to the Black is America podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Also, let people know about the podcast. We would greatly appreciate that. For a full transcript of this episode and others, go to www.blackisamericapodcast.com. There, you can read our blog, leave us a review, or you can leave a voicemail where you can ask a question or let us know what you think about the show that we may play in an episode. Thank you so much for listening to the award-winning Black is America podcast, where our history comes to life. Until next time.